Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm Ann Stickney, one of two lore focused writers from Blizzard Watch, and I've got both of my wonderful co hosts with me today. First up, he's the other lore focused writer over on Blizzard Watch, and that would be Matt Rossi. Hey, Rossi. Hello. How's everybody doing? I hope you're okay. Yeah, I, I'm here. <laughs> How are those horses? <laughs> yes, well, uh, uh, do you want me to bother? We don't have time for me to explain the horses. Okay. It's just All thing. right. But you're talking about the ones in Assassin's Creed Odyssey, not Red yes, Dead Redemption not, 2. I have not okay. played Red Dead Redemption very much. Uh, I, I, a friend of mine had it, and I looked at it, and I was like, yeah, this is gritty and unpleasant, and I don't want anything to do with it. I, so I haven't played it. Redemption. All I've seen is is a multitude of animated GIFs of horses doing strange, strange things. Yeah. Moving the, on, the, though. Assassin's Sorry. Creed horses are just friendly. They're nice. Okay. I like them. Okay. We've also got our other wonderful co-host with us today, and he would be our shaman writer and also lore aficionado. That would be Joe Perez. Hey, Joe. Well, hello. I don't have any exciting horse stories to share. No horse uh, stories at all? No, but I do have uh, an exciting thing I would like to share real quick. Do it. Um, so I actually helped found a new charity organization um, this past week. Well, it's been in the works for a while. What? Um, okay, tell us more. Okay, so it's a it's called Roll for Charity, and it's a charity. Ba- it's all about gamers uh, donating and giving back. So every year we participate in this thing called Food Machine, which is a food drive that goes to the Food Bank of America, and they make sure that people get food. and And it's a gaming event where you come, you show you show up with your armies, and you can buy like cheats with your your armies in the middle of your games by donating cans or by donating money to the food bank. Uh, and we have raffles and things like that. And so one of the goals that we've had throughout the years of me participating is I want this to be bigger and better and I want to give more back. So we actually got a board of directors together and got people that had like-minded sort of mentality about all of that. And the first event under this auspice is coming up in two weeks. 
where we are actually hosting the very first Roll for Charity event that's going to be under that branch. Uh, and now we actually have everything in place where all the paperwork is good. It's an official organization. Uh, everything's done above board and, and not like some rinky dink operation. Uh, and I'm actually really excited and very proud of this because um, not to get too weepy, but I grew up very poor and I grew up, you know, watching my mother sacrifice meals so that my sister and I could eat. And I made a vow when I got to be an adult that if I had any power to stop that to happening from anyone else, that I would do that in a heartbeat. Uh, and so that's what this is all about. So really excited, very, very happy. Um, and everything's everything's moving along real well. Dude, that's awesome. So if anybody wanted to like look more, look at more info about that, do you have someplace where you would point them, like a website or anything? Or no, not yet? Well, uh, that is still being finalized. Uh, we're actually working on getting online donations um, and things like that up, uh, as well as the having the website with the entirety of the charter and the, the model so that everybody can peruse it. Um, and throw out your Twitter doing... handle so people can follow you for more <laughs> details if necessary. Absolutely. So if anybody wants to follow me and I will tweet things out as they become available, uh, you can follow me at, at loader ZG yeah. loader Z J L O D U R Z J. Um, but yeah, hit me up anytime and I'm more than happy to talk about this type of stuff. Uh, yeah, that's pretty awesome on another tangent altogether. Um, it's been a, hot minute since we've gotten together and talked about lore um and in the meantime boy have we gotten an avalanche of emails about various and sundry things so i figured this time around we could go ahead and just dive into the mailbag and answer some questions if that's okay with you guys absolutely all right cool um if you guys happen if you guys listeners I mean, have any questions for Lore Watch, you can send those to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Just include uh, Lore Watch in the subject line so that we know that it's intended for this podcast and not the other one that we do. Um, and we appreciate it. We do try and get to all of them. We don't necessarily have time, but let's go ahead and jump into the mailbag here and see what we've got. Um, our first email is from Zand, who has a couple of different questions, so we're just going to go down them point by point, okay? Um, Zan says, what lore source best covers why so many races can be priests but not paladins? Is a paladin more than just a priest with combat training or a warrior with faith? And I don't know if there's a lore source out there exactly that covers that like hits race by race by race and why they can be a priest but not a paladin. But we can answer the second part of this question or go into um, it a little. I think generally speaking though there's not like a instead of having a lore source for like why this race can't be paladins, it's assumed they're not paladins unless they have a specific tradition of it. And that's why Torin developed one. So it's, it's not so much, you know, this race can't be paladins because X It's more along the lines of this race is a paladin. Like they, it's not a negative capability thing. It's a positive capability thing. If that makes sense. Yeah. Cause the first paladins were created. They were, a direct response to everything that was going on in the first war and what happened with the fall of Stormwind and all of that. It was a response to the horde and the fight against the orcish horde and all of that. The original horde, not the horde today. Um, That's when paladins were kind of developed and kind of embraced by humanity. And there may have been other iterations of that dating all the way back to Tyr, but nothing to the degree of what we saw Mm-hmm. Yeah, come about with Alonza's foul and with, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, Rossi. No, no. I just I was agreeing with you. That's all. 
But in terms of what a paladin is, a paladin is more than a priest with combat training because uh, Anduin Rin is a priest with combat training and he's not a paladin. Uh, a priest or a paladin, they're not interchangeable. There's a certain... Another example, a warrior with faith, um, Anduin Lothar had plenty of faith. He believed in the Holy Light. He had faith in it, but he was not a paladin. He was a warrior who, who was, you know, had faith. The, the two things are not the same. A paladin is a very specific thing. It, it's born out of priestly orders, but it's, the training is very rigorous. Not everybody can do it. Uh, they, they had five people that they picked to be the first paladins were all extremely, four of them were warriors that were trained to use the Holy Light. One of them was a priest who was trained to fight. Um, that's Turalyon. Turalyon was the one who was already a priest and who, he had to give it up to be a paladin. It wasn't just, okay, now I add a sword. It was, he gave up his priestly training to become a paladin. It's, it is a different thing. It It is born out of priesthood, but it's not the same. And it's, the way you can tell that it's different is to look at how the Draenei deal with it. Uh, Draenei vindicators are all about vindication. Then it, there's a kind of, I don't want to say emotional difference, but a, an ethical training to it. They're trained to be, to basically bring retribution. The, the whole idea of the ret paladin comes from them, that kind of idea. And that's what paladins were for the, for the Alliance too. The paladins were all about, you know, bringing the lights judgment on people. It wasn't just believe in the Holy light. It was like, believe in the Holy light and bring its vengeance upon people. Priests They're, use the Holy light to heal and to like soothe lost souls. I guess if you want to look at it that way, that kind of thing. Paladins use the light very specifically. They are champions of the light, and they use, they wield the light almost like a weapon in and of itself. It's a different kind of thing. Um, yeah, even like if you look at the Blood Elves too, and mm -hmm. this is one that you know, the Blood Elves when they started being paladins, they were very much using the light. They were not, mm -hmm. you know, serving it. They were not, you know, they they were very much not priests in any way, shape, or form. They were you. They the light as a weapon was their whole deal. That's what it, they were doing. They've eventually changed from that. They've moved away from it and towards a more balanced approach. But the first Blood Knights were all about messing people up with the light. They, they, the first nothing... Blood Knights were very much. They were kind of a literal interpretation of that. Wield the light like a weapon. That's yeah, what exactly. they were doing. And the thing is, is it's kind of more than wielding the light because it, the it's almost like a symbiotic relationship with the light in some ways. Kind of, sort of. Yeah. Like, if you look at Lightforge, too, the Lightforge That's Draenei, where it really yeah. comes into play. Yeah, that takes it even another step further. But, like, like, if you play a Lightforge Paladin, you are playing someone who is so completely in tune with the light that you know exactly what it wants because what it wants is what you want. The two of you are, like, in sync in a, in a way that's almost unthinkable to people who aren't part of it. And the light will sustain you. Like, uh, I think Turalyon's lived a thousand years. Yeah. Yeah, well, and so, then some, but yeah. Yeah. Joe, so do you have anything to add to that? Well, I, I think it's interesting because I, I had this discussion a couple weeks ago with somebody on Twitter, and I'm sorry if if you're listening to this, I don't remember exactly who you are. Um, but we we're talking about paladins in general and the idea that like any technically any race could theoretically become one through whatever apotheosis happens, right? And we're starting. We're we're the interesting thing to me is we've we've lived through it now in game twice already, right? Like you have the Torin with the Sunwalkers, and you have 
the Blood Knights and their their sort of evolution into sort of paladins on these different journeys that these different paths that lead to the same endpoint. And now, without getting too heavily into spoilers, we're we're possibly going to see it time. And, and I think that's really cool because to me, paladins have always been this weird. Um, I don't want to say mishmash, but they've been this weird, very human idea. And now being able to see other races pick them up over the years and how they get to that point has always been really fascinating because everybody has a different way they got there, whether it was using the, the, the light as a blunt weapon uh, to sort of accomplish their goals uh, or whether it was, you know, born out of survival or whether it was born out of, you know, worship of, whatever deity or whatever source of light uh that they're they're sort of channeling through it's it's always been really fascinating to me and i think the the potential of of one born of loa is even more fascinating to me because it proves that it's not just necessarily light and only light like it has different interpretations and i think that's really neat um but there's no reason there's no reason the loa can't use the light either right that, I'm, I'm not saying I'm not saying that it's not. I'm just saying like it's it's interesting that that's the source, the avenue that it goes through, right? Makes sense. Yeah. Well, it seems that the uh, the the Zandalari approach everything through Loa to like ridiculous extremes to, to where they have a Loa for you know concepts that you wouldn't ex- that have nothing to do with like you know the ancients or the you know anything like that. They have Loa for things that are completely disconnected. Like they they consider night elf souls to be Loa. Mm-hmm. When they see a wisp, they think that's a Loa. And they're not wrong. I mean, it's just, it's a different way of looking at the world. It's very animistic. So it makes perfect sense they'd have a Loa for kingship and power who deals with the light because the light is all about justice and, and judgment. And that's a really, that's a rulership concept. Judgment? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a very much a rulership concept. So we, I find that these Andalari, the Zandalari having their prelates and them actually being playable, that's a really good move, in my opinion. And I think we need the Night Elf Paladins now. I think so, too. I, Especially I with, agree. with Elune going the direction we know she's going in 8.1. Uh, some, some Night Elf Paladins would definitely be cool. And, and it's time to see them. Okay. Um, let's move on to the next question from Zand here. He says, where is the whole Void versus Undeath stuff coming from? And I'm going to point out the initial hint of that was in... What was that comic called? Was it Three Sisters? The, the Three Sisters one, the yeah, three, yeah, Three Sisters. Name, but... uh, in that comic, it was it was the Windrunner Sisters. It, it was the recent comic about the Windrunner Sisters, and um, in their interactions with each other, Alaria has a very direct connection to the Void. That's something that developed at the end of Legion. There, um, and it's how the Void Elves came to be, pretty much. Um, the Void tells her things constantly, constantly. And when Sylvanas showed up, the Void started talking very specifically about how she needed to kill Sylvanas because Sylvanas represented the true enemy. Sylvanas obviously represents undeath in some kind of major capacity here. She is undead. She has been undead. She's a ban- she was a Banshee Queen. You know, got all this other stuff going on. So that's where that that conversation kind of initially developed, and then it progressed from there. And I don't... You guys want to talk about that? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, let's move on. <laughs> we'll talk. I don't know. I've always wanted to say no, just just to change it up. Uh, I think that to a degree, I mean, we're still watching stuff happen in the game. 
in terms of this this whole void versus undeath thing. Uh, but one of the things we've seen is, uh, I'm sorry, having a trouble breathing there for a second. I don't know what that was. Uh, one of the things we've seen is that death stuff has been coming up a lot between Bon Samdi on the Horde side and the Drust on the Alliance side. There's like a lot of stuff involving death and death gods and you know death spirits and realms of death that's been like percolating around the edges of this expansion. It's not the center focus, but it's very much an ongoing theme. And that's, you know, not even dealing with the fact that Sylvanas versus Anduin is very much a light versus death kind of scenario. But with that going on, uh, we know more's coming in 8.1 and beyond. We know Vol'jin's getting a, a story involves him and like, you know, he's, he doesn't know what Lois spoke to him. I, I don't. I don't know. Like, I don't feel like this is spoilers because we're not. We're going to see it soon, and plus, we're not going to say what we it was. Will, well, let's let's just <clears throat> let's just put a soft thing out there. That this is a spoiler. We're going to talk about eight point one material here, but it's going to be here in literally like what two weeks or something. Yeah, less. It's, yeah, yeah. December eleventh, I think. Pretty quick now. Um. So yeah, if you're avoiding that and you want to experience that all brand new, maybe skip ahead five minutes or so. Okay. Yeah. All right. We know that that Vol'jin's gonna have a story that basically him him and Princess Talanji are trying to figure out why he's like you know who spoke to him, who told him to put Sylvanas on the throne. Why can't he remember? Because he doesn't remember. And why is he not dead? Dead. Like he's dead. His his body's gone. It's 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 an it's an urn it's an urn full of ash now. But he's still moving around and. It seems like he's kind of transcended death, like he's kind of becoming something else, and that's a whole—that's another part of the whole thing that we're talking about. There's that. There's these. They don't tell us. We don't know what the end game conclusion of all this stuff is, but we know that. Oh, again, I, you guys remember the Shadow Freeze dagger? Zalatath. Yeah. Yes, uh, Zalatath. Zalatath. We, we empower. Yeah, Zalatath has been is is going to be making a comeback, and and. Uh, in the new raid coming in 8.1. We won't see it right away because that raids the the first raid battle for Dazar lore isn't coming out right away. Like when, when 8.1 drops, we're not going to see the new raid until after the holidays. So don't, don't expect to immediately be raiding a new raid that that raid's not coming right away. After that raid comes out and is out for a while, we're getting another raid that's going to deal with like stuff going on in storm song. And it's going to have, it's pretty obviously old God related and Zalatath is involved in that raid. We, we don't want to talk too much about what happens there because for certain amount, we don't know too much about what's happening there, but Zalatath is coming back. And that's where the void stuff we've ha- We're having all this death stuff around the edges. We're having all this void and old God stuff around the edges. We don't know how they, how they work together yet. We don't know if it's strict opposition. We don't know if one's trying to play the other. We don't know yet. But we know that there's all this stuff happening around the edges that that I think is pretty fascinating. Yeah, that's pretty much where all the void versus undeath stuff is coming from. It's just it's it's primarily from that comic. So if you haven't read that comic, I would recommend go look it up. It is available for free on Blizzard's website, so you don't have to like pay to read it or anything like that. Um and it's just a couple of hints. And of course, you know, when we're given a couple of hints, what's the what do we do naturally speaking we go absolutely wild with them and come up with all kinds of crazy theories mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's not just us there's a whole group of people out there who like to come up with crazy theories about this stuff and try I and predict th- where I things think we are have to go. mention one thing that joe did too yeah 
Joe did, Joe was the one who noticed this first, and he was even talking on Twitter about it. So, Joe, could you talk yeah. about the thing you noticed in Falling Zalatath? Uh, which part? Because I've gone on way so many tangents about Zalatath. The specific picture from BlizzCon that you saw? Yeah, so during that panel, uh, like it was the first thing I zeroed in on when they were stro- showing the new, uh, like, oh, new stories for old heroes. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, oh, wait a minute, that's not a bow in Sylvanas's hand. That's Zalatath. Why does she have Zalatath? What is going on here? Um, and the best thing is I, I got a winky face back from somebody on that side of the fence. So there's some shenanigans going. Um, but yeah, like she has Alatath. She has a, and from my understanding, and again, this is that soft spoiler territory. Um, we know that we're going through and powering up old artifacts again in some capacity. And Zalatath happens to be one of them because the world is going kaboom again. And we're like, well, this worked before, and we're worried about this whole void stuff and all God stuff and, you know, all these things that are happening on the horizon. So we're going to go ahead and well, let's take this piece of an old God and see what we can do with it. Uh, but then we give it to Sylvanas question mark. Like, I want to know how that all or shakes she out. takes it or something. And, and then I, I feel like, cause we're talking about all of the little ways in which like, the whole death theme has come up. One of the things that we also should probably point out is that we have Bolvar Four Dragon's daughter kicking around in Colterius right now. And that was the thing. It was just brought up, mentioned, and mm. then it hasn't gone any further. But we now saw in yeah, we saw in Legion that Bolvar was very much not an inactive entity up in Northrend. In fact, he's got several different irons in the fire right now, as it were. So I don't know. It it feels like we're building up towards something. Um, the The whole reason why we say, you know, it's the void versus undeath thing is because the void very much made it clear to Ilaria that Sylvanas was Sylvanas and everything that Sylvanas represented was not something the Void was comfortable with and in fact was something that the Void was scared of which was weird because what frightens the Void and why which, which makes it very interesting then that Sylvanas has a piece of an old god in her possession I or know will be, right because yeah. we know that it's a piece of an old god we know this for a fact and so what is she doing with it? What can she do with it? What does this mean? Is this what the Void was afraid of all along? Is it making a deal with her? Or has she claimed it somehow? And what does that mean? Anyway, uh, third question, third and final question from Zan says, If we do get an uptick on undead stuff happening, what do you think the odds of seeing the best faction ever, Scarlet Crusade, return are? Um, I'm going to answer that one real fast. No, it's not going to happen. <laughs> Um, the Scarlet Crusade was created specifically to combat the undead in Lordaeron, um, and they quickly devolved into this very zealotous organization that was basically being puppeted by the Burning Crusade. Um, well, the, bur- <laughs> the Burning Crusade, the Burning Legion. It's the Scarlet Crusade, Burning Legion. Um, they had a Dreadlord pretty much acting as the figurehead of the organization, only he was in disguise. And he kind of... Uh, bumped them all into this level of zealotry where they were fighting the undead, but they were also fighting anyone who might have had contact with or thought about the undead in any way. Like it got to the point where it was like, 
wait, you're in the plague lands, but you're not undead. You must be working with them. We're going to kill you. Like that kind of thing. It was on a really severe level. Those guys got pretty, pretty thoroughly stomped in wrath. And then after that, the remnants, the, the remnants of the Scarlet Crusade were turned into undead so they basically became that one thing that they sought to scour from the world which was pretty sad you know part of me wonders if that would be an interesting allied race as like a forsaken allied race i don't think they'd work with the forsaken no. i don't think they would either it would take a really unique and weird set of circumstances to make that happen but well, you know, th- this is an interesting question, though, too, because I'm thinking about it, and, and Rossi can correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't don't you fight against the remnants of the Scarlet Crusade in order to get Sally Whitemane's body to make her the last yes, person? Yes, you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, so, like, you, you you stagger on into that cathedral. There are not many of them left, and they're doing pretty badly, and you just rip your way through and steal her corpse. Now, the interesting thing is because that was what good child is who you have to kill finally, I think, to get to her body. But like he was the one that was supposed to be like this uber zealot that, you know, was whipping like the remaining ones into like the super frenzy on the idea. Now, if we go back to the other part, I I would actually be curious to see what would happen with the Scarlet Crusade if there are any survivors left. Or if somebody happens to stumble upon any of the written works or some of the teachings of it, if there's an uptick in what's happening with the Lich King at any point in time, it wouldn't be so far out of the question to me to maybe see the Scarlet Crusade come back as not just the crazy bad guys, but as something maybe a little bit closer to what they wanted to be in the first place. Well, the problem with that is that the Scarlet Crusade actually split into two organizations when it went nuts. The Argent Dawn are the Scarlet Crusaders who weren't crazy evil. Sure. That's where they came from. Um, the ones that were, they were like, oh, ho, oh, whoa, whoa. We can't just murder people for being here. That's that's nuts. No, we have to. Okay. Maybe, we're gonna maybe you guys are going a little bit overboard. No. Okay. Well, we're just going to take a sidestep and you guys can have the Western Plague Lands. We'll go over to the Eastern Plague Lands and hopefully you won't bother us too much. And then they did anyway because there was a whole... Yeah, they're Because they're crazy. There were, well, there <laughs> was a whole bastion the of the Scarlet... Star, right? Yeah, there was a whole bastion of the Scarlet Crusade off in that one corner of the Eastern Plague Lands. But, well, yeah. Plus, I mean, do you guys remember, like, we were, when we did the original Nax back in Nax 40, there was that whole thing where the Scarlet Crusaders actually came over? Like, yeah, that's the thing. Scarlet See... Crusaders. Yeah, that's the, that's what I was going to say is that I wouldn't see that happening just because we saw the Scarlet Crusade try to forge a quote unquote alliance with the Argent Dawn before and that didn't go so well at all. So I don't know if anybody would trust anyone that showed up and said, yeah, I'm Scarlet Crusade, but I'm a good Scarlet Crusader. I don't just given the amount of history that we've had with that organization. Plus, I mean, we're leaving out stuff like the whole Scarlet Onslaught. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, the, 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 the thing with, uh, with, uh, not Mo Grain. Oh God, I can't remember her name now. She's one of my favorite characters too. I know who you're talking uh, about, but yeah, I can't remember her name. <laughs> Abendis, Bridget Abendis. Abendis. Thank you. Yeah. Um, the whole deal with her, 
uh, leading the Scarlet Crusade north and changing them to the Scarlet Onslaught, and how um, Baravon Westwind showed up. He was an admiral from the Scarlet Crusade who had sailed north to Northrend, and he just showed up one day and said, okay, I'm here to help. And she's like, great, yeah, we've, we've missed you. And it turned out he was actually another Dreadlord. Mm-hmm. So they've at this point been they've been working for more dreadlords than they have for human beings. Uh, they've had you know out of the three people who've been in charge of the Argent the Scarlet Crusade, two of them have been dreadlords. <laughs> so yeah, not not a great look for them. Sure, um, but I mean there could be some interesting stories still to tell that that have some of those remnants in there as all. Well. That, that's basically what I was getting at is that I, I I wouldn't mind if there was more to do with them because I mean I, it was always fun to me. Like, it was always interesting. They were a fascinating kind of enemy mob because Mm -hmm. they were coming from a place where their original intentions were probably good, but they weren't bad. And I I like that kind of an enemy. (laughs) Yeah, we've all read the um, the comic. Yeah. And that had the, uh, I want to say the Ashbringer comic. Yeah, Yeah, it was the Ashbringer series. Yeah. And that has the whole thing about when the Scarlet Crusades first formed and it's not completely crazy evil yet. But even then they had like the Abendus, uh, Abendus and his daughter Brigitte were both always pretty close to the edge. They were always like, we should just burn the whole village to be sure. Um, no, but we got to burn the whole village. Okay. Okay. Bridget, we can't just burn the whole village. <laughs> please, please take it down a notch. Keep in mind that um, everybody always acts so horrified when Arthas' response to Strathholm was, we need to purge the city, even though not everybody there had maybe eaten that plague grain or anything. Everybody looks at that as the moment that Arthas had his downfall, really. That Mm -hmm. was the start of that slow descent. Um, That's what the Scarlet Crusade was kind of all about. Really, yeah, exactly. They yeah. were all gung ho. Like if they had been there, they would have been. Yeah, Arthas, we're totally with you. <laughs> they didn't develop until later, but it was that same kind of mindset where it was like, this thing needs to happen. And if there's anybody there who wasn't affected, it doesn't matter. They were still, you know, they're guilty by proximity. That kind of a thing. Um, yeah, I I wouldn't mind seeing new stories with them just because I do think that, that, like I said, I think they were kind of a fascinating enemy, but I don't know where that fits right now. I don't think that fits right now. Maybe it'll fit later. Who knows? Honestly, I got to say this before we move on. With Bolvar around and currently serving as the Lich King, the last time we saw any Scarlets was in Northrend. Yeah. And not, Mm -hmm. not counting, not counting in the monastery and not counting the Risen who were all, you know, forcibly raised into undeath. Actual living Scarlets are up in Northrend. We could actually see them as a new order of Death Knights under Bolvar. That mm-hmm. would surprise me. Because, you know, why not be Death Knights? You know, it's still better than being undead, even though you kind of are undead. Well, a Death Knight <laughs> is undead, but yeah, anyway. Yeah. Uh, okay, next email. This is from Leoden of Vectalash. Um, this is kind of a lengthy one, so bear with me. He says, I think you guys touched on something and I wanted to break out my tinfoil hat and go along for the ride with you guys. You were talking about the rise of Azshara and how the heroes don't have the weapons anymore, the artifact weapons, and how we're all cutting ourselves apart with the war, and I agree with that, but 
I think after we get stomped by Ashara like a red-headed stepchild on Sunday after church, that Magni is going to have us recharge our weapons with the Azerite, which is why we can't delete those weapons and they're taking up bag space. Calling it now, we will have our legendary weapons back at the end of this expansion or the beginning of the next, and the way to fuel the weapons is with the Heart of Azeroth, and we'll have that as another permanent item. Love the show. Hopefully you guys read this one. Leiden. Well, we read it. What do we think, guys? Yeah, I... I don't know what to think of it first of all i don't necessarily think that we're going to get our artifacts back and the only reason i say that is because that would be really weird design choice but story-wise we've expended the power of these items to a certain extent and i understand that the whole zalatath thing is going to happen but that's another example of why i don't think we're going to get it back we're 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 doing stuff with zalatath to give it to somebody else or ultimately it ends up with somebody else that's not to say we yeah. can't get it back, but like it would kind of been... be really awful for Shadow Priests if they didn't yeah. get their artifact because Sylvanas had everyone else got their artifact and Shadow Priests are like, what are over there? Now, you know, the, so I don't know. Now, the only thing that I think, or at least I think would be cool, or at least for me, is I, I didn't get the send off for the artifact that I really wanted in any manner. Like, we we sucked in a whole bunch of energy and then it kind of overloaded and that was sort of the end of it. it didn't really feel epic to me. Whereas as a resto shaman with my nice little scepter that happened to belong to one queen that happens to live under the water where we're, we, we know we're going to be going to at some point, I'd love to have something where like we have like a little scene where like we use the last of whatever is left in it to get from point A to point B or something along those lines. But I don't think we're going to get it back. I don't think I don't think it's in the cards. Can I just take a sidestep here and and go sure. on a little tangent of weirdness and ask you guys a question? Yeah, do I, I don't that, think it would stop you. Do you think that Ashara was named after the planet, or do you think that her name signifies some kind of connection with the planet that we were previously unaware of? Like, do you think maybe the reason she had the golden eyes is because she has a bigger part in this whole story and in the fate of Azeroth than we'd previously realized? It's certainly possible. It's certainly possible. Because we, we don't know we don't know what signifies the golden eyes, like what triggers it, what causes it, aside from being like marked by fate. I mean, I'm just well, reading this email and then I see Ashara and Azerite yeah. like right next to each other. Yeah. And then I went, huh, you know... But, I've never you really it's a little thought about curious. that before. <laughs> we, well, we don't know anything about Ashara's for, like life. We don't know no. if she's the heir to the throne or if the night elves just decided she's so beautiful. Let's make her our queen. We or have how no, her, or how her yeah, parents decided know, that that was going to be her name or whatever. Yeah, we know nothing about her life other or than how she, she got all eyes. of all, or how she got all of that power because she's arguably super super powerful, right? Not arguably, she is. She is. Powerful. Yeah. I mean, right. We, we, we've all seen that short. I mean, yeah. I think I made the point. I was writing with the Naga this, this, it's coming Monday if, if you're listening to this live or when it goes up. Um, when, when that wall of water was coming, it took the, an entire order of magisters working underneath Elisande with multiple pillars of creation uh, to make the Nightwell just to make the barrier that saved Suramar. And they didn't save all of Suramar. They lost about half of it. They just they put a bubble like around it. A section yeah. of the city. Yeah, like the whole bit with the temple, like the you know, the Temple of Elune, that whole area went into the ocean. 
she just managed to save a, a bubble around part of the city. And that, that took like multiple artifacts from the Titans, the pillars of creation themselves to do that, including making the night well with one of them. And again, multiple, multiple mages, at least 10, probably way more. I don't even know how many, but you know, that's how many it took to do that. Ashara by herself almost did the same thing for Zinashari, which was bigger than Suramar. And the only reason she didn't make it through that by just fine was because she didn't try and drop the bubble to save herself. That is the reason she ended up underwater, not because she wasn't strong enough. She was strong enough to come out of that just fine. She just wasn't willing to lose. And she managed not to. She came out of it with, you know, her, most of her people still alive, still serving her, and a kingdom of her own. So, yeah, she is incalculably powerful. But we don't know much of anything about where she comes from. No, and I, and I, the reason I'm wondering about that is because we had that whole reveal about Illidan in Legion, where it turned out that he had this long destiny about, you know, the Naru and blah, 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 and all that tying back to Zira and, and everything that he was set up to be and then blatantly refused to do, which was great, by the way. That was fantastic. I loved that whole swing of his storyline. But I'm wondering if we're looking at potentially something similar with Ashara, where she was put into place for a reason... And maybe we don't know what that reason is yet. I don't know. It's just the... Which the... then leads even more questions like... And really the because... only thing the only thing that I'm going off of is just her name has kind of a striking similarity. That's it. Well, I, I think it'd be interesting because then if you also look at it, like technically elves are an evolutionary aberration, right? Like they're... Right. They weren't naturally occurring in regard or, or order. They weren't built like that. Uh, I'm they, they, say happen, they happen because, well, they happen because trolls settled by the well. And except, except when you go into the tomb, when you go into the tomb, there are elves represented in there. Yeah. When you go into original Alduar, there are elf statues. Well, that's what I was going to get at. Was, in Alduar. I'm wondering... I'm wondering, though, if those facilities, because they are literally built into the planet, are tapped into Azeroth, and if Azeroth was the architect of elves, if that is her, you know, that's Azeroth's sort of, you know... Well, the well of eternity was her blood. Exactly. So I'm yeah, wondering yeah. if this was designed by her. But here's the thing. I mean, that's certainly one possibility, but one of the things that's always interested me is the fact that we only have... Like veiled, you know, they spent time around the Well of Eternity and it changed them. But with the, we know that this whole time, the Temple of Elune was a Titan construct. Mm-hmm. It wasn't originally the Temple of Elune. It was originally some Titan construct. Now, we know also the Tears of Elune and all that. So we can come back to this. As to, we don't know what Elune is. So that's another thing. But if the Temple of Elune is the structure it was right on the it was right on the shore of the well of eternity we know this because suramar was right on the shore of the well of eternity and it would have been there before suramar existed it would have been there before any of night elf civilization existed because it's a titan construct titans built it so who's to say that the 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 night elves exist because dark trolls found the well of eternity could be that night elves exist because dark trolls found the temple of elune Mm-hmm. And the Temple of Elune may have made them over in Elune's image. 
if the temple of Elune is remember the night elves believe that Elune slept in the well and came out at night. Yeah. Yeah. And went up into the heavens at night. Well, that would make, why do they think that? What, what, this is one of the things that's always gotten me about this. Why was the tier of Elune successful in reawakening Zira? Why was the tier of Elune there instead of something named after a Titan? Which what is interesting. Is Elune? Yeah. Well, you know, and now I'm thinking about it because, like, I'm going back to like Pandaria, and I'm going back to like the the engine, right? Like the engine that we literally had to fight that was generating new life. Like what? And we didn't get to see all of the tomb, all of the temple. Like we didn't get to see every bit of it. We didn't get to explore it. We didn't have we didn't have our Magni Bronzebeard moment of what does this machine do? Let me push a button, uh, which I think would would have been fascinating. There's whole sections of that place that we didn't get to see. Like, what if it was a an engine of creation, like you're saying? And what if that light coming out of the well was it? It was. We know that we know that the ritual that the uh, the the highborn mages, including Elisand, used to seal the to- the tomb was to prevent it from opening the portal. The power was being used to open a portal for the demons. Mm-hmm. What we don't know. This is something that I've been thinking about a lot. Ashara renamed Elundris. Elundris became Zinashari. Elundris means Eye of Elune. Yeah. Zinashari means Glory of Ashara. Whoa, whoa. Random yeah. thought. Well, you may not be random. You may be coming up with what I was about to say. Go for it. What if Antorus wasn't an anomaly? What if the Temple of Elune was the Azeroth version of that? It might be. It might be. A, yeah. What was the name? Uldorus? Yep. Yeah. It might have been. We we don't know. We we don't know we what know it's like. We we know that that's a name that exists, like we or at least we have a good inference of it from our our heart maiden. But yeah, and what if that's what happened? Like, what if as the trolls died or you know passed, that they were just basically sucked in and and reborn? Well, here's another thing to think about: when you have Ashara renames Elundris as you know Zenishari. Well, they the night elves rename it. She doesn't actually even have to tell them to, but. Its new name is Glory of Ashara, and everything's about the glory of Ashara. Ashara even tries to get Tyrande Whisperwind to become one of her handmaidens. Yeah. What if Ashara's target was always Elune? Mm. She wants to replace Elune. She wants to she be thinks of the herself, goddess. Yeah, she wants to be the goddess of her people. And what if there's a reason that Elune comes out of the Well of Eternity? What is the Well of Eternity? It's a wound in Azeroth. Right. Are the two things I've always wondered this about, why was a tear of a loon being used? Why doesn't a loon show herself more often? Why doesn't a loon take as many direct, as much direct action as you think she might? She can act and she does act, but, and then you have, what was the name of the planet that, uh, Oh, ENR is on. When you do the tomb of Sargeras, not the oh. tomb of Sargeras, the Antorus raid. There's, I think it's called, um, Eluniara. Elunera or something yeah. like that, yeah. Like, what if Elune is a title in Titan? Huh. Oh, sort of like, um, well, sort of like Zin. Yeah. Like there's, there's... Or no, not Zin, excuse me, Zol. And what what did Sargeras want to do with Azeroth? He wanted to make a like, fell Titan out of her. Yeah, but specifically, when you get the, uh, the, the, um, the, I want to say the Sceptre, yeah, the Sceptre Sargeras specifically mentions that he was in some kind of bizarre love with her. Yeah. And what did Ishara say about Sargeras, that he was the only one worthy of her? Yeah, he, she wanted she wanted to be his consort. What if 
the reason Ashara got this incredible like ego was because from birth she's seeing Azeroth's thoughts and feelings. What if she wasn't to be its speaker? She was supposed to be the original speaker? Yeah, what if? What if she's supposed to be... Because Azeroth was clearly trying to make one, because it made yeah. one out of Magni. What, what if Azeroth has been trying to find someone who will like talk for it for this time? It reached in, and it, this baby who with this great destiny and power you know, makes creates it, and she won't do what she's told. Though, wait, okay, so that would also make a lot of sense, too, if you start tracking it back, too, to, like, even going with uh, Illidan and Malfurion and why they're so in tune with what they were. Because if you think about it, you know, Malfurion is, like, the greatest druid that ever lived, quote, you know, like, air quotes, whatever you want to talk about. But he, he has this super strong connection with the land, the land below his feet, which is Azeroth. It's the body of Azeroth. And Illidan has this insane connection to arcane energy, which we know the Titans are aligned with in some cosmic fashion. Specifically, the, hey, the hey, hey, energy. hey, I have something to point out. Wait, Go for okay. It. What did Ashara want to do with the Burning Legion? What was the deal that she made? She was going to remake Azeroth. She was going to remake the planet in her image. What else remakes planets? The Titans? Mm-hmm. I feel like there's a connection there. I seriously feel like there's a connection there. Like it wasn't just vanity that made her want to do that. No, it was there was impetus. something else driving that purpose. And maybe it had to do with the fact that the whole planet was infested with old gods and they were trying to figure out a way to remake it to begin with. Yeah. And for that matter, I mean, if she's been, if the, if the planet created her to, you know, and she didn't want that destiny, she wanted, she was trying to reject it, replace it become the thing that you're and, that's trying to make you something oh and we don't know anybody that's had that sort of strong powerful connection that's rejected their destiny that was being foisted upon them because we didn't they didn't want it did we no we don't and, know anybody like that no. at all <laughs> no that but that would that would make that would make an absolute strange amount of sense um maybe not even strange like that would be a really interesting sort of tying it all together because of the people that we know have were blessed with the golden eyes, like we only know of three, right? Like there hasn't been anybody else really that they've pointed and maybe out. Maybe that's why she had that fascination with Illidan. It wasn't just yep. Illidan being Illidan; it was the fact that Illidan was this product of destiny, and so was she. Well, well, think about it. If if, if she tries with Azara first, okay, because Azara predated the birth of Malfurion and Illidan, correct? Yes. Yeah, by by like a couple thousand years. She she doesn't want that responsibility. She understands what's going on. And says, thanks for the power. I'm going to go do my own thing now. So now Azeroth is freaking out going, wait, I just gave a whole bunch of, of power and, and ability to this person who has no desire to do what I need them to do. And, you know, here's all this other, these other things and these rumblings. They touched minds. They know what's going on there just a little bit. Says, I need to replace her, but I need something that's going to be as powerful, but different. Sorry, my somebody knocked on my door. That's okay. But, uh, but I've just had like another weird idea while we're talking about all this. What if it wasn't to be a speaker? What if that was something it came up with later? What if you remember how Rathion got the uh, essence from from uh, Lei Shen? Got yeah, the heart of Lei Shen. Do you remember the stuff he said? We must be yeah. the final Titan. Yeah. What if Ashar was supposed to be? where the Titan put her essence. Remember that the other Titans did that? Yeah. They put their essence in the various uh, 
Watchers and, and then later on like left those? What if she was trying to put herself in Ashara and that's what she made Ashara to be, to be the receptacle of herself? And it's just like Algalon said. Perhaps it is your imperfections that which grants you free will that allows you to persevere against all cosmically calculated odds. Yeah. Or maybe that's what drove her crazy. Oh. Or not even crazy, but you know they didn't. If, they didn't account for free will. The Titans yeah. never accounted for free will. Well, I, I just think it would be interesting though too, because in the the grand scheme of things, like we don't know the full extent of Ezra's power. We don't know what she's capable of. We don't know that. And it was always interesting to me now, like why were these three golden children sort of like separated and things like that? And the, the one thing I was going to get to is it almost feels like when she chose, or let, let's say she was making the active choice. She chose Illidan and Malfurion that she purposely separated their spheres of influence. Well, hold on though. We, we keep saying three, but Malfurion wasn't born with them. No. Malfurion earned them. His eyes turned golden. But that's what, well, how, how do I phrase this? Yes, but I'm curious if that was part of the plan all along, or if Maybe. it's just that familiar link, or the fact that they were, you know, twins. Do you think that Malfurion and Illidan were originally supposed to be twins, or do you think the twin was formed as a copy of Malfurion? I mean, a copy of Illidan, or Illidan was formed as a copy of Malfurion? No, I or think it... Zira, Zira went looking through the cosmos, boop 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 boop, saw this creature that would eventually become this embodiment of nature or whatever and said, yeah, that one's cool. I'm going to make one just like it. Only I'm going to make it a warrior of the light and then created Illidan. And or, that's why they're anything, twins. I think if anything, the other way around, I think Illidan was the one who was supposed to be born. Yeah. yeah I, I, I was thinking like, what if, what if Malfurion was the Emerald dream backup? Ooh, that's also like, a good thought. Yeah. Like, you know, Illidan, it, we, we've tried this once before. We tried this with one over here. It failed. We're going to try it again. We're going to do something slightly different. But just in case it fails, we don't want to wait another 10,000 years for a suitable host to be born. Let's just split them in half. Like, I could totally see that being a thing. And so, like, Malfurion maybe not necessarily earned his eyes like we say he did. Maybe it just so happened that it got activated. The backup copy got brought into play. Ooh, what a weird thought. Especially because of the servants. Think about it. Azeroth is failing, right? Azeroth is is dying slowly, uh, is wounded, has all these things that have happened to it, has the Great Sundering, has has all these explosions and all these wars that are raging over it. So all of a sudden, you have the greatest druid that ever walks the planet who has a direct link with the Emerald Dream in such a deep capacity that no other druid really does. I mean, the only things that come close to it are like Cenarius and the other ancients. like. Name another living creature guys, that has that level guys, of guys. Guys, guys, guys. Malfurion caused the sundering. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If uh, your idea is correct, mm -hmm. the emerald. That means Malfurion did it on purpose. If if he doesn't know it, maybe that means that th that was the purge state attempt. Okay, all these demons. This is too much. Just blow it up. Yep. The uh, a, a type of reorigination, if you will. Oh God. <laughs> because we know, we know, was, I mean, what would make more sense? Scouring the, the planet of life, completely uh, making it desert like the other Titans did, or Azeroth going, I don't have to do that. I know how I can do this better and do it with essentially wild growth, right? Like cause this, this huge explosion, 
blow up everything, rescatter everything, re like reorganize everything and cause new life to bloom in its place. Like that, I, I that's like a body trying to shake a coal. It would make perfect sense to me. Needless to say, let's move on. But elves are weird. All right, moving on. Um, Because that was quite the series of tangents there. Uh, next email is from Vertigree, who's an undead frost mage of Dalaran, who says, Wondering about the name of the Horde. I assume that they're called that because the Alliance described the original group as a quote-unquote horde of orcs, but it doesn't seem like a name you'd give to yourself. Was there ever a different official name? Why did the original orcish horde accept the name, considering when that word is used in English, it's used insultingly? I can imagine them completely not caring what that word means to the Alliance. All the best, Verdigree. Um, when you go back to the etymology of horde, there's like a couple of different explanations for, or a couple of different definitions of it. And one of them, yeah, it is kind of like a derogatory term in terms of like a large group of angry people, whatever. Um, I think that another version of it is also an army or a tribe of like nomadic warriors, which kind of encapsulates what the horde was. It was these nomadic clans of orcs that all came together to form this big horde of, yeah, of calling creatures. It the, calling it the horde is one thing, but the the, the literal definition of a horde is what it is. Yeah. They were a horde. Well, yeah. calling them the horde makes it something different, but they were literally a horde. Just like um, the, the, the Genghis Khan led out the, a horde. They called them the Golden Horde, actually. Well, yeah, I was just actually going to bring that up. Because you know, it, it is what they are. It's, but, it's actually descriptive. They are a horde. But specifically because anthropologically speaking, the when you call something a horde, it's a melding of families. And what was the horde between the orcs? It was a melding of clans, which are essentially extended families. Like these are bloodlines. These are these are groups of orcs that sort of had their own lineages that came together as one. So if you look at the actual root of the the real word, real world word horde is a loose knit small social group typically consisting of multiple families and so just extrapolate that that that's what the clans did they became they came together as a horde makes makes sense to me yeah they they the horde see the thing is is like you also have to look at language in azeroth and it's kind of an iffy thing because we as players our characters can't speak different languages but when you go to like in-game dialogue or NPCs or you go to like um, any of the novels or things like that members of the Horde and members of the Alliance can talk to each other pretty freely there's like a common language that's sort of shared between all of them and it's kind of a matter of okay well which one of these things is canon like which one of these things do we accept as truth and I don't know if there really is one necessarily but I do know that the Horde, like the Orcs, they have their own language. They had their own ways to describe things. And maybe Orcish words that mean one thing in the Orcish language mean something very different to a, an Alliance character, like a, a human or whatever, that's hearing that word for the first time and going, wow, that sounds like our word, which means something completely different. You know, I don't know. Etymology is a weird in Warcraft. Uh words don't necessarily mean the same thing that they do to us sitting out here playing the video game. Um, Horde is one of those words, though, where it's like, no, they called themselves that because that's what they were, 
it wasn't meant as like a derogatory term or anything. It was just a straight, flat-out definition of what they were, and yeah, it like, worked for it, them. I think that the it was even established that back when the red when the red pox originally came about, the original uh, the the ogres came up with it. it they used it against the uh, orcs who for, who had formed their first horde. They the first time the orcs ever all united was in opposition to the uh, ogre empire. The I want oh god I can't remember the name of the ogre the ogre empire. But they yeah, Heimol. What were they called? <laughs> God, why is that? Why can I not remember the name of that empire? The uh, oh my gosh, no! Now you have me forgetting too. Hang on. The Gorian Empire. The Gorian Empire. Thank you. You are quite welcome. When the when the orcs united to fight the Gorian Empire, they did so, and they first they formed the very first horde, and they then disbanded it after they completely wiped out the Gorians because they didn't want the way they they did it. They used their powers to cause the elements to just destroy them to just smash their city into the ground and they were so afraid of what they'd done that they broke up and said we're never doing this again unless it becomes absolutely necessary because this was too destructive the The, yeah the the destruction of Hymal was like it was a big thing like a really big thing um and and so when when uh it was Goldon who came up with the idea of bringing it back yeah because Goldon being, you know, his usual lovely self, uh, you know, Goldon was like destructive. I'd like destructive. Let's bring that on back. Let's, I don't see what the problem with that well, it was is. was Goldon, to yeah. be fair, it was Goldon with the backing of Kill Jaden. So, you know, because Kill Jaden was like, yeah, you should totally get everybody together. Go do this thing. Fight the Draenei. Wipe them out. I don't like those guys. You shouldn't like them either. They're out to get you. And yeah, that was a thing. Goldon was never very nice, ever. Nope. Never. But yeah, so that's that's where that name comes from. It's not necessarily like an insult term or anything like that. It was just, you know, it's a standard definition. Um, and then once they came to Azeroth, obviously that kind of took a new meaning at that point. But the orcs called themselves that because that's what they were. They were a unification of a bunch of disparate clans that came together and formed a big thing, a big horde of people. All right. Um, I think we have time for one more question here. So we're going to answer one more. And this one is from Balak of Dragonblight, who says, Dear Watchers, how does a diehard Alliance player who has no interest in playing as Horde to get a better understanding... Or, excuse me. How does a diehard Alliance player who has no interest in playing as Horde get a better understanding of the Loa in Battle for Azeroth. I get the impression that they're a big deal, this expansion, but ever since Grizzly Hills, I've only had a few brief interactions with them while doing the war campaign. Your suggestions are welcome. Thanks, Balak of Dragonblight. What do you think, guys? Uh, well, I mean, you know, there's certain websites, like, I mean, I can think of <laughs> uh, where, where people write articles about lore. Um, you could read those, because you probably just gave me my idea for this week's uh not that i'm you know yeah so there's that uh i i do think like if you're not playing he's interested in playing as horde and i get it although i do i do have a horde character that i'm kind of messing around with you can still kind of there's like in-game books and stuff you can read there's there's also you know chronicle explains it to a degree so you could read the chronicle books especially i think volumes two and three both mention the loa quite a bit yeah volume i was gonna two, say chronicle is probably a really good bet right yeah. there Volume mm-hmm. two um, talked about them because the, the the original Zandalari Mogu alliance 
And then when the Zandalari invaded Pandaria after the Mogu had been defeated, that gets mentioned quite a bit. Uh, so that's that's stuff that gets brought up, and you can you can get some information that way. Uh, there's the visual guide, obviously. There's also uh, there's, there's not also a lot in the visual. I was gonna say there's not a lot in the visual guide about the Loa. Just, just the saying, because it, yeah, it's just the original stuff, but it was written before any of uh, Legion or Battle for Azeroth came out. So, but anyway, go ahead, Joe. Sorry. There, there's a couple things you can look at too. Like uh, I remember Blizzard did a Battle for Azeroth preview, which also had the the Zoldazar Visitors Guide. Uh, you can actually check that out uh it should still be up on their website um obviously all the chronicles like they stated uh there was also an interview with uh on the lost codex with alex uh Af- afrabiabi i can never pronounce his name i'm so sorry afrabiabi uh, yeah and 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 patrick dawson which was it was a story and systems but there was a whole bunch of stuff about the loa specifically in that as well if you um, want something purely in game though uh go to Zoldrak. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really explain all of the Loa, but if you if you were to run Zoldrak and go run the Zolaman and Zulgarub dungeons, you'll get some of it. Especially Zulgarub, because the, 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 the priests were actually Zandalari priests who went in and got captured, so the Loa that are there are Zandalari Loa. Um, so you can kind of get the you know, Shadrach and all that. And um, I'm trying to remember also... Shadra. I was going to say there in game there is an achievement in game called Aloha of a Tale where yep. um you find volumes of tales of the Loa in Zandalar and there's one for I think pretty much every featured Loa and maybe a couple that aren't so heavily featured in Battle for Azeroth but they're scattered throughout Zandalar um and those are just they're, they're like little objects that you can click and you can read um they have those for pretty much every region like there's one with the drust where you can go through and you can read stuff about the drust and where they came from but um that one from i want to say there's like one two three four i'm counting now five six seven eight there's like 15 different books that are uh volumes mm-hmm. that are just about the loa um, and those you can find in game if you want to and make a game out of it, get some achievement points, or you can look them up over on Wowhead or Wowpedia and just it's read them yourself the if you want to read them. Pandaria, right? Yeah, it's it's like the shrines back in Pandaria. Yes, it's like that same kind of thing. Um, and that's an in-game way to find it. And those things, I think you can find those things whether you're Alliance or Horde. It doesn't matter. Yeah, and I was gonna say, and the one thing, like I know you said that you have no interest in playing a Horde character, and I totally understand that. Um, everybody's got their own sort of things. But if, if you ever are bored and you think, man, you know what? I, I don't really have anything else to do. Even if you don't play to current level, at least playing through the, the stuff with like the, the previous iterations, like the, uh, all of the, the classic stuff. And then the, the wrath stuff as well. Um, like that stuff has a lot of meat to it and it's pretty easy and quick to get through, uh, especially now. And you don't really have to do spend a whole lot of time to get to it. Um, and there's some very horde specific things that happen there that, that can shed a lot more light on it. And I, and I think it's a shame that that's sort of cut off from the Alliance unless you play the horde. Um, but don't, don't write it completely off and maybe save it for like a rainy board day. But I, I would say keep yourself open to it because you can find some really nifty things. There is one other thing I forgot to mention. Um, yeah. The Vol'jin novel. Um, oh, yeah. Yes. Shadows of the Horde. Shadow of the Horde. Shadows yeah. of the Horde. That no- that novel is set in the Mist of Pandaria time. It's it's not quite up to it's not up to current events, but it covers what happened to Vol'jin after Garrosh tried to kill him. 
And so it touches on Juan Samdi and it touches on the Loa and it's Vulgen's relationship to them. So if you want to get like some ideas on Juan Samdi, what's going on with him, that's a good book to read. And the Traveler book, the 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 young adult thing that Blizzard was doing, I think they're still doing it, aren't they? Yeah, Not they still. are. They are. There's um I think there's two books out or the second book is coming out soon. I don't remember which. Yeah, that, that touches on a very specific Loa who mm-hmm. is, is present in uh, Battle for Azeroth, although he hasn't actually made an appearance, but he's mentioned. He has a shrine, and he, so that's about that's got a Loa in it. So that's you can get some ideas about the Loa as well from that. Um, so yeah, there's there's some stuff out there if you don't really. I'm gonna say though, and I'm I'm pretty much as close to an Alliance diehard as anybody gets, and even I play the occasional Horde character. Uh, if it is. Especially this expansion, the the horde leveling experience is something worth seeing if you I w- can get I was, over it. Yeah, I was gonna say even if you are a diehard alliance player, I would still recommend playing the horde side of things just because the storyline over there is really really good. And you can ignore the war campaign; you don't have to go into all of that. You can just keep doing the story quests for the three different zones and you don't have to level that character or gear them out when you get to 120 or whatever. It's worth it if you're a fan of the story just to play through it for the zone stories because they're very good. Mhm. But it's I, the same reason why same reason why I just got done playing through uh the alliance zone stories to so I could experience their side of the story for myself. Like it's it, it and I don't really have any desire to really sit and play the alliance side very much because I really, really love my moose. Um but yeah it's it's worth keeping in your mind. Okay. Well that kind of wraps us up I think for this episode of Lore Watch. Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch and your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. And for you guys, the listeners of Lore Watch, Audible's offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I know we just mentioned Shadows of the Horde. That's actually one of the books that you can get and you can use as your free download if you want to. It's narrated by Scott Brick. It's a very good book. It's written by Michael A. Stackpole, who it's the only Blizzard novel that he's done, but he's done a variety of other books. He's a really good author, and I really enjoyed this novel. I mean, don't get me wrong, love Christy Golden, love Richard Knack. I just liked hearing a different voice as far as, you know stuff that was going on in Pandaria. Plus, it was just a really good book. I don't know. I just, I enjoyed finally getting a Vulgin novel. So um, if you want to, go ahead and check that one out. You can download that. You can download any of Blizzard's other titles, or you can download any of the thousands of other books that they have available by going to blizzardwatch.com slash audible. And every sign up helps support the show and everything that we do. Um, final thoughts, you guys. I'm going to go back to the whole Ashara thing because quite frankly that tangent was really interesting (laughs) and I'm going to ask you in light of all of the stuff that we discussed and everything what would you like to see out of the end of that raid where we're supposedly going to confront Ashara Joe I want more for origin like I I know it sounds goofy but there's got to be something there there's got to be something in that city that tells us more about her past and like she's a really cool character, don't get me wrong. And I, I like her as a villain. I, I I think she's fantastic to foil us. But I want more of her backstory. And I thought that's what we were going to get with Warbringers, and we got a little bit in the Warbringer short. 
but this is a perfect opportunity, whether it's through a books we find or, you know, flashbacks or whatever the case is. Like, I, I would just love to have more by the end of that rate. Okay, Rossi, same question. Well, first off, I am terrified they're going to kill her, and I don't want that to happen. Like, I I actually hope that she walks out of that raid having stomped us into the ground. Agreed. Yeah, like, I, would, I would be happy with that. I would think that was great. Yep. If the end of that fight was us running away. That, like, she's like, she's like, oh, you think you're going to win? And she stops holding up the water that's surrounding the city, and it just kind of comes crashing down on top of everything. And she like just swims off like a boss, and you know we're like all drowning. That would be great. Um, but I, I don't. Ashar as a character, I don't know what I want because I don't know anything about her past. Like all we know about Ashar is when two thousand years into her reign, when she'd been the unquestioned object of devotion for two thousand years, where she'd pushed you know she'd pushed the uh, worship of Alun to the side to the point where it was in Suramar that their biggest temple was. And Zinashari didn't have one, as far as we know. Now, granted, that temple was in Suramar because it was the Titan construct. It was something she couldn't just push aside. But, like, I, I, I don't know that we can, like, I don't know if that I need young Ashara. Do you know what I'm saying? I feel like, to a certain degree, I know all I need to know about her. What I want to do is see more of her. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it totally does. Um, I think, as far as I'm concerned with the raid 100% on board with you. It would be a crime if we killed Ashara. And I would love to see her pull the same thing that she pulled when we went back to the Well of Eternity in Cataclysm, where she just said, okay, well, done with you guys now. Peace. And she just like floats on out of there. We can't do anything about it, but watch her leave. Um, I think that would be great. However, I would say, Joe, what you said, I would like to see around not necessarily in the raid but in that zone that we're going to be exploring in Nazjatar I would like to see another one of those lore achievements like we were talking about with um, the Zandalar with the Tales of the Loa I'd like to see those little books scattered around Nazjatar that kind of explain more about Ashara's history and maybe even like you know the history of the Night Elves in general we have like that big chunk that's very well defined about everything that went on with the War of the Ancients and everything but we don't have that much really from the distant distant past and I'd like to see more of that fleshed out but you know that's just me anyway that wraps us up for the show thank you guys as always for listening and again if you have an email for the show please send that to podcast at blizzardwatch.com put lore watch in the subject line so we know it's intended for this show thanks so much for listening and we will see you guys in two weeks Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.